1: members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly zoom hangouts with mike here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on the humanist report enjoy the show
0: so i know you remember this elitist rich snob who in 2019 was basically everywhere and he was popular because he was floating the idea of running for president as an independent and he was basically threatening to sabotage the 2020 election in favor of donald trump if bernie sanders became the democratic party's nominee he hated bernie sanders so much because he wanted to keep his taxes at a lower rate that he was willing to jump in as an independent and take votes away from bernie sanders all because he didn't want his taxes to go up by a little bit insufferable right he had no policy ideas he just thought that the democratic party was too left It's a joke. So he kind of went away and faded into obscurity and he stepped down, wasn't the CEO of Starbucks, but now he's back. Once again, he's the CEO of Starbucks and he's just as insufferable as he's always been. So he held a meeting with Starbucks workers in Long Beach, California. Uh, There were some executives there, to my understanding, and workers, and the issue of unionization came up. And this really short clip gives you a sense of the way he feels about unionization, and you're probably not gonna be too surprised with what he has to say.
2: Now, here's where it gets a little sensitive because I've been coached a little
1: bit, but I do want to talk about something pretty serious. We can't ignore what is happening in the country as it relates to companies Throughout the country, being assaulted
0: in many ways by the threat of unionization. Now, look, I'm not surprised to hear an elitist prick like Howard Schultz say that, but I mean, he took the hyperbole and turned it up to a 12. Corporations throughout the country are being assaulted in many ways by the threat of unionization. Why do you feel as if unionization is a threat, Howard? What is it about unions that scares you so much? What? He knows that it's gonna cut into their profits because if there are unions throughout his company, then workers are going to get more. More money, better treatment, and that scares him. He likes to exploit his workers. He likes to take advantage of them, hence why he views this company-wide unionization effort as an assault. It, it's ridiculous. But thankfully, workers are just done. Now, one worker named Madison Hall had the opportunity to attend this meeting at the last moment. Their manager had invited them and somehow they got to attend. And this person did not take kindly to what Howard Schultz was saying and actually stood up to Howard Schultz and confronted him about his company-wide union-busting effort. As Jordan Zacharin of A More Perfect Union writes, tensions flared during a meeting between Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz and workers in Long Beach, California on Friday, closing out a tumultuous first week for the returning executive. Madison Hall, a 25-year-old barista and union organizer, says that the 68-year-old billionaire repeatedly bristled at and cut off their questions about Starbucks's handling of the growing union movement within the company. If you hate Starbucks so much, why don't you go somewhere else, Schultz told Hall. Hall. Hall, they recalled. You were constantly telling us that you are not anti-union, you're constantly saying that you respect our right to unionize, Hall says they told Schultz. We're not going to talk about that, Schultz replied. The friction continued to grow. Hall says that when they mentioned the several federal complaints filed by the NLRB against the company for illegally harassing and firing pro-union workers, a number of other baristas began murmuring seemingly unaware of the charges. Hall says they tried to explain the NLRB's actions but was again cut off by Schultz. A challenge over whether Starbucks offered the best benefits in the retail industry was also interrupted. Then he went into a long rant about the history of Starbucks and how he used to be poor hall reports hall says they pursued the line of questioning only to encounter more hostility i said you say you're not anti-union but on july 1st 2021 starbucks was found guilty of retaliation in philadelphia hall relays that was when he got super defensive and cut me off saying we're not talking about this it was very very bad he was getting very aggressive with me hall adds and then he went on another rant and he told everyone else that he's sorry that this was brought up that this isn't what the event was about and he had his hand pointed towards me like I was a problem. Wow. So that's what happens when you challenge a rich person. People like Howard Schultz, billionaires like him, they surround themselves with people who just affirm all of their bad elitist beliefs. So when they're actually challenged, when the peasants actually stand up and they make the case for themselves, he doesn't know how to react. So he just mauls. What a fucking child Howard Schultz is. But this is predictable behavior. Every single CEO is fighting unionization. You know, Amazon is fighting it. Starbucks is fighting it. We did a video not too long ago about Starbucks. This was referenced by Madison just firing organizers of a union at one particular location. You know, they pressured a manager to crack down on the unionization effort. The manager refused to comply. They fired that manager, brought in a union buster, and then they just fired the employees. What they were doing was they were trying to basically dissuade these uh, organizers from forming the union. So once they found out about this union, they, they started to cut their hours, schedule them for like nothing, bring them in, not schedule them enough so they couldn't take a break. It was ridiculous. Like they were doing everything they possibly could to break up this union. And um. This is what happens when you confront the CEO about it. Now, the NLRB violations are absolutely extensive and more perfect union They did a video talking about this. So here's a brief clip from a fuller fuller video that I will share down below in the link uh, to description box. But um, take a look at all of these violations from Starbucks, a company that supposedly isn't union busting.
3: In the last few months, there have been at least 63 different allegations made by employees of Starbucks, which contend the company has engaged in illegal activity against them. These unfair labor practice charges, which have been filed with the National Labor Relations Board, span across the entire country, from Buffalo to Seattle and every everywhere in between. Phoenix, Memphis, Austin, Denver, Peoria, Knoxville, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Santa Cruz, and many more. The pace and velocity of these charges against Starbucks is increasing. More than half of the total NLRB filings on Starbucks' illegal activities have come in the last month alone. We comb through these documents. Again and again, the charges made by Starbucks employees are the same violations alleged of Section 8 of the National Labor Relations Act, which asserts that an employer may not interfere with, restrain, or coerce employees. For months, More Perfect Union has revealed stories of Starbucks executives pummeling their workers with baseless fears and propaganda to smear unions, what Starbucks Workers United called a blatant shock and awe campaign, intended to psychologically punish prospective pro-union workers. Starbucks subjected workers to captive audience meetings and threatened to close stores. And the company even fired a popular manager because she questioned the company's tactics. Starbucks workers say the company is intentionally spying on their union gatherings, questioning employees about union activities. Workers are being threatened with job loss, warned that they'll be discharged or retaliated against if they side with the union. And recently, more and more organizing employees are stating that they have in fact been outright fired as a result of their pro-union activities.
0: So that's what Madison Hall confronted Howard Schultz about. This is a company that is breaking the law. They're breaking the law. Workers have a right to organize. Workers have a right to form a union. But companies like Starbucks and Amazon, they go out of their way to do everything to break up these unions. And even if that means breaking the law, they don't care because anything that they might be fined that pales into comparison to the cost of just treating their workers fairly giving them livable wages, offering them better benefits. That is more expensive than just breaking the law and paying fines. So that's why they do this. So, you know, this is a company-wide effort, as I stated earlier, and more and more stores are going to fight for unionization. All it took was one store to unionize, and then, like Domino's, stores across the country started to uh, to fight for unionization. And I hope that the same thing happens with Amazon. Not too long ago, we talked about how Christian Smalls led the first successful unionization of a warehouse, and, you know, I hope that more follow. But with starbucks you know the same thing happened all it took was one and we see the way that the company is reacting the ceo is melting down at the mere mention of unions and literally calls it an assault no it's not an assault it's workers finally standing up and demanding to be treated fairly saying that they're no longer going to accept exploitative practices and they want to be treated with dignity not like robots So, you know, I'm absolutely uh, proud of that worker for standing up and confronting Howard Schultz. But I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that Madison was fired not too long from now because they absolutely have a history of retaliating against union organizers. So because Madison right there got the attention of the CEO... If they were fired, I would not be surprised. And I hope that that's not the case. But you just, you can't trust these union busters. They will go to great lengths to try to dissuade people from forming unions. So if Howard Schultz can make an example out of Madison, that's what he's going to try to do because he's a bad person and he wants to save every single penny that he can. So he wants to stiff his workers and break up unionization efforts. But it goes to show you how afraid they are of these unions. They're fighting unions because they know that unions are effective. That's why they go to such great lengths to dissuade their workers and you know intimidate and retaliate against workers who try to form unions it just means that you're winning and you have to push that much harder look folks parenting is It's a hell of a journey, right? As the father of a two-year-old French bulldog, I know firsthand how difficult it can be, you know, navigating certain situations, when to be a disciplinarian, when to play good cop, bad cop, you know, when to have tough conversations. These are all things that you have to navigate as a parent. Uh, but one thing that I think we can all agree with, first and foremost, is having the autonomy as parents to make these difficult decisions ourselves and not have some sort of an ideology imposed on our children, which kind of gets in the way of the way that we choose to parent our children. Now, you know, Fox News understands this and they put out a tweet saying you're not alone. Ingram Angle launches a new parental portal to give mothers and fathers across America a place to share stories about what their children's schools are teaching. If you have a story to share, email ingramangle at fox.com. (laughs) So this is going to be good. So let's watch the video and she's going to explain that now for all of you parents who feel as if your parental rights has been violated by these woke teachers, you now have a very valuable resource. Uh, Ingramangle at Fox.com. Let's listen as she explains why you might want to use this parental portal.
2: Marinating our kids and lessons on gender inclusivity and sexual expression, it's not going to help them succeed in this ever competitive world we live in. And it goes without saying that everyone, and I mean everyone, should feel safe in school. Bullying should never be tolerated. But the bullies today are often those who refuse to respect parental boundaries. Those who seek to destroy a kid's innocence in the name of tolerance. Parents we've spoken with have had enough and they're mobilizing. And to help them, we have created the Ingram Angle Parent Portal it's a place for you to share what your children are seeing and hearing in the classroom. We'll hear the good and the not so good. Email us at ingramangle at Send us examples of some of the lessons that your kids are learning or seeing or hearing. And be sure to include the school district, the city and the state and keep all comments respectful. Tolerance demands that the dignity of all people be respected, including the dignity and innocence of our children
0: i love how she tries to be reasonable but what she says is just absurd everyone and i mean everyone should feel safe in school so that implies you know maybe kids who are different lgbtq plus kids or kids who have a family that Is different than other families Uh, but then she says bullying should never be tolerated but the bullies today are often the ones who refuse to respect parental boundaries now it's weird because you'd assume that she's talking about bullying in the class but then she calls teachers bullies essentially um okay um those who seek to destroy a kid's innocence in the name of tolerance so this is referring to the don't say gay bill and this woke ideology so if a kid finds out that gay people exist Well, you're crushing their innocence. You're letting them know that gay people exist. And as a result, gay sex must also exist. That's the implication. It's not the same when kids talk about their mommy and daddy. That doesn't imply that straight sex exists. And that definitely doesn't destroy their innocence. It's only destroying their innocence and grooming if we're talking about gay people or trans people, because, you know, being straight and heterosexual and cisgender, that's normal. But being gay You know, being transgender or non-binary, these are all unnatural things. And if we can protect our children from ever finding out that LGBTQ plus people exist, then perhaps we can keep them from being gay or trans. That's their logic anyways. So now the email again is ingramangle at fox.com. She says to include the school district, the city and the state now listen folks this is a serious resource for serious people only so definitely don't troll this email address and if you do decide to send an email to laura ingram definitely do not share it in the comment sections down below Uh, i will not be reading this Uh, this is all private so you know write an email don't put it in the comment section down below now because i'm sure that a lot of you are expecting um this hotline to get bombarded by lefties trolling laura ingram um i decided to send her an email to show you what not to do basically so that way we respect this very serious hotline so here's what i wrote Dear Laura and Fox News friends, My name is Michael Fettuccini. My son, Ralphie, attends Clarendon Elementary School in Portland, Oregon. My son told me about a recent field trip his teacher took him on that disturbed me to my core. My son recently came out as a heterosexual by revealing to one of his friends while passing notes during class that he had a crush on one of his female classmates, Phoebe. My son's teacher, Ms. Frizzle, caught him passing notes and outed my son by reading the note to the entire class. She then shamed him for his sexual orientation in front of all of his classmates calling him a filthy breeder and asking him how many pussies he nutted in today while giving him a noogie. His classmates were laughing at him as the teacher made an example out of him. But it didn't end there. Ms. Frizzle then held an impromptu biology lesson by taking the class on a field trip by using some sort of a magical bus that actually shrunk the entire class down to a microscopic level. Ms. Frizzle then took the class on a field trip into my son's classmate Arnold's asshole in order to prove that my son's heterosexual homosexuality was unnatural. The class traveled to Arnold's prostate and Miss Frizzle referred to it as a G-spot and claimed God put that there because he expected men to be with men. When my son came home, the stench was utterly unbearable. I asked him why he smelt like shit and he explained to me where his teacher had taken the class. Now, I actually don't mind my son's teacher explaining the fundamentals of homosexuality to him and I think the bullying of him for his straightness was actually necessary. My wife and I are trying to teach Ralphie to not be breeders like us. I draw the line, however, at field trips where no permission slip was signed, and if you're going to take my son on a field trip into an ass, maybe have the courtesy to bathe him before sending him home. My wife and I work 8-hour jobs, and we shouldn't be expected to bathe our child after a hard day of work. Needless to say, we're both outraged as parents and thought we'd reach out to this wonderful portal you've created, Laura. You probably know firsthand how intolerable a stanky asshole can be, and I thought you might want to cover this on a broadcast. God bless you, Laura. Best, Michael and Nancy Fettuccini, aka. Ralphie's parents. Now, that right there is an example of what you don't want to send to this hotline. Now, um, that was me joking. Um, actually, my son's name is not Ralphie, it's Carlos. Uh, but other than that, the story is actually true. So, definitely do not send this hotline those types of emails and don't you dare post them in the comment section down below i will not be reading them i will not be paying attention to them i do not encourage trolling only use this hotline legitimately to send in complaints about your woke teacher or your your child's woke teacher rather and you know hopefully laura ingram will see your complaint or your concern and you know together as parents we can work together to make this country a better place to make classrooms safe for our very very sensitive children uh during this developmental time in their lives so um yeah i really appreciate laura ingram setting up this angle here or or setting up this email um for parents uh you know it's it's a really good thing to do you know that her heart is in the right place and it comes out of a place of concern so i really appreciate her doing this and um I, i think that she she should be commended for this
1: Uh, what we have is um, kids being not only indoctrinated, but but groomed in, in, in a very real sense by people who are, whether they know it or not, sexual predators. Are they abusing the kids uh, physically? N- no, I don't think so, but they're abusing them mentally and, use, and using um, sex to do so. This has always been the problem with education, is that teachers are uh, inclined, particularly men because men are predators to uh, pedophilia. And that's why there were strict um, community strictures about it. Uh, Thank God. So this started to break down when the schools said, you know what, we have to teach the kids about sex. Why? Because what if they don't do it at home?
0: That was professional writer and stupid person David Mamet saying what he just said with a straight face to no pushback, by the way, from Mark Levin whatsoever. Now, I can't help but think that he's saying that he believes this because he's projecting because, I mean, I don't believe that all men are predators. I don't believe that teachers have an inclination towards pedophilia. So perhaps you think, well, since I'm a pedophile, everyone else, every other man must be like me. Therefore, of course, we should take these precautions to protect children. Except, no, not all men are predators. Most men are not predators. Where does this belief come from? And I think that it's becoming more and more evident that when the GOP talks about protecting children, they're projecting. I think that really what David Mamet said, there is a microcosm of a bigger issue. And we're starting to realize that all this talk of grooming by the GOP is beginning to blow up in their face because it's raising the public's consciousness about this issue and when we're actually looking into who's the real groomers who's the real threat to children well surprise surprise more often than not it's uh it's republicans now what do they mean by grooming we've talked about this on the show before but to them if you think that It's okay for kids to know that gay people simply exist? Well, congratulations, you're a groomer. Because if Sally finds out that her classmate Steve has two dads, well, that's inherently sexual because if that kid knows that gay people exist, that implies that gay sex also exists. See, it's not grooming to point out that Sally has a mommy and a daddy because, you know, being straight is normal. But when it comes to gay people and trans people, well, apparently a lot of kids will want to try it out and be trans or gay if they just find out that it's a thing that exists. Just hide them away from the real world forever and you'll protect them. Except this is stupid and they're literally reviving the gays or predators myth all for some sort of political gain. And it has real world consequences. Homophobic attacks are increasing now. As a result. Now, I only have anecdotal evidence, but if we look back at the data this year, next year, I'm assuming that you're going to see an increase in violence against gay and trans people because of their new tirade against groomers. And it's just, it's it's sickening. Now, David Mamet isn't alone. That conversation did not take place in a vacuum. Other GOP figures are chiming in. For example, Laura Ingram set up a hotline so parents can report teachers who are supposedly grooming in the classroom. Trump Jr. retweeted an image suggesting that Disney is pro-pedophilia because, um, I don't know, I guess they just want to include more gay people and trans people in their movies, so that makes them pro-pedophile. He also retweeted J.D. Vance, who promised to stop calling people groomers when they stop freaking out about bills that prevent the sexualization of children. Now maybe it's just me, but if my dad's name appeared on Epstein's flight logs, I might just sit this one out. I might not try to accuse other people of grooming when my dad has literally been accused of rape and is an alleged serial sexual harasser. But that's just me. Trump Jr. thinks that um, we shouldn't sexualize children, hence why he retweeted J.D. Vance. But Nobody is advocating for teaching kids about sex in grades K-3, through which is what the Don't Say Gay bill prohibits. We're saying, though, that it's normal if kids find out that gay people exist. It's normal if kids find out that one of their friends has two mommies. It's a part of life. Gay people have and always will exist. Trans people have and always will exist. So hiding that away from children, doesn't really make sense. You can have age-appropriate conversations about these things, but they don't want to do that because they're bigots and they're masking their bigotry by trying to pretend as if, you know, gay people by wanting representation. They're just groomers. But the problem is that all of this is beginning to blow up in the GOP's face because people are finding out who the real groomers are now. And it's because grooming actually is an issue in the United States. Child marriage in the United States till this day is a giant issue. Believe it or not, only six states have explicitly banned child marriages, as UNICEF reports. And these states include Delaware, Minnesota, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. And as UNICEF further explains, between 2000 and 2018, almost 300,000 girls and boys in the United States were married before, for their 18th birthday. And as Population Matters points out, 20 states allow marriage at 16 and 10 states have no age limit at all. So girls as young as 10 years old in the United States are getting married. Now, that is sick. That is disgusting. Where's the outrage for this? If the GOP actually cared about grooming and protecting children, why wouldn't they want to protect against this? Instead, they're going against gay people. Well, I mean, if you want to protect children, pretending as if LGBTQ plus people don't exist isn't the most efficient way to reach that outcome. Now, here's what I would do if I were a Democratic Party lawmaker. I would introduce a, a bill immediately, and I would call it the Anti-Grooming Act, and this bill explicitly bans marriages for anyone under the age of 18. Now, any GOP lawmaker who purports to care about grooming anyone, if they don't support this, we call them out. Why aren't you supporting this? You said that we need Don't Say Gay because you're anti-grooming. But yet, here you are not supporting this bill that would ban child marriages. It's almost as if the GOP doesn't actually care about grooming, and they're choosing to turn a blind eye as their own party embraces pedophiles and predators time and time again. Now, Midas Touch put together a compilation that shows just how big of an issue pedophilia is in the GOP, and we're not talking about grooming. Like, we're talking explicitly about a pedophile problem that the GOP has.
2: The stunning political scandal that is rocking Capitol Hill. Republican Congressman Mark Foley abruptly resigned Friday after questionable emails he sent to a teenage boy.
1: Dennis Hastert convicted of a financial crime, part of a scheme to mask something more egregious, his molestation of children.
4: Hush money used to pay a man who says Hastert sexually abused him when he was 14 years old.
2: There are now five former Ohio State wrestlers accusing Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of knowing about a team doctor's alleged sexual misconduct.
3: 43 men who say they were sexually assaulted, abused, molested, or harassed by
2: Dr. Richard Strauss. George Nader, his criminal history included multiple convictions for child pornography and child molestation
1: this morning a judge sentenced ralph shorty to 15 years in prison police caught shorty in a hotel room with a then 17
2: year old boy roy Moore, defiant as more accusers stepped forward alleging sexual misconduct this is the shopping mall where some say it was common knowledge and not a big secret that roy moore would flirt with teenage girls when he was in his 30s one accuser says that moore initiated a sexual encounter back in 1979 when she was just 14 years old. The new charges against Joel Greenberg. Sex trafficking
4: of a minor and stalking a political opponent. Order Republican Congressman Matt Gates
1: allegedly having a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl. Investigators examining whether he, quote, violated federal sex trafficking laws.
2: Ghislaine Maxwell is accused of helping Epstein sexually abuse underage girls. I've met her numerous times over the years, especially since I lived in Palm Beach, and I guess they lived in Palm Beach but i wish her
1: well
0: yeah but yet gays are the problem and teachers have an inclination towards pedophilia i think that's the way that david mamet put it i swear to god every single thing that the gop says about the left and gays and marginalized people it's all projection they're projecting it's it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous so they're right grooming is an issue but it's not gay people who are grooming and it's not grooming if kids know that lgbtq plus people exist but what is grooming is when disgusting republicans straight men marry children the second it's legally permissible for them to do so and what's particularly disgusting is how folks like josh Hawley will claim it's kentaji brown jackson it's the left right this was his whole tirade claim is that she's soft on you know sex crimes and smear her that way marjorie green said that you know anyone who supports her is pro-pedophile but yet she hangs around with matt gates so it's always you know uh everyone else is the bad guy but they never look at themselves but this is actually a real issue so the gop I don't trust them around children they're the ones who are grooming they're the ones who are oftentimes predators it's not gay people who are propagating this issue it's the same with the you know trans bathroom myth how many straight men have been arrested for being predators republicans in particular have been arrested for being predators compared to trans people It's kind of something that uh is a little bit telling is it not but, yeah, you know, as they continue to talk about grooming, I uh, eagerly anticipate it blowing up in their faces more as more of their dirt gets revealed. Ted Cruz was hosting a live version of a podcast with Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire, and a very peculiar question came up. And Ted Cruz did not want to answer that question, but Michael Knowles did decide to answer. And I have a lot to say about michael knows his answer and ted cruz's unwillingness to answer let's watch Uh, hello my name is evan um assuming that would end global hunger would you fillet another man
1: so, dare I ask
2: him to repeat? Well,
1: actually, so I, I do have an answer to this. All right, I actually think it is better that the Yale answer this.
0: <laughs> you know, there was a line in
1: there was a line in American Psycho about that Yale thing. I think that's what our questioner is alluding to. Uh, like a, like a typical left wing undergraduate, you are engaging in consequentialist ethics. You are attempting to justify flagrantly immoral behavior to achieve a good end. And and I tell you, my friend, the ends do not justify the means. Absolutely, absolutely not. I I am curious with that young fellow, if it would solve world hunger,
0: would you vote for Donald Trump? Interesting. So, that question is inherently flawed, but it's also brilliant simultaneously, and I get that that's a contradiction, but let me explain. So, it's brilliant in the sense that if Ted Cruz doesn't answer, then you look like a coward, but if you do answer, then however you answer, you still look bad. You think that being gay is immoral and bad, so if he says, yes, I would go gay to solve world hunger, then you get to point and laugh at him and say, la mau, you're gay. But if he says no, then you still get to point and laugh at him and say, wow, you're that insecure about your sexuality, that you refuse to sleep with a man to do something objectively good, like ending world hunger. That's bizarre. So, I mean, either way, you kind of back him into a corner and there is no way he comes out of that looking good. But I mean, this is just a silly hypothetical question. So, you know, take it for what you will. Uh, However, it is inherently flawed because it relies on the assumption that Ted Cruz and Republicans, more broadly speaking, actually think that ending world hunger is good. Like, I genuinely believe that Republicans like Ted Cruz are so morally defective that they're sociopaths. They either don't know the difference between good and evil or they know the difference, but they think that evil and bad things happening is preferable. Like, honestly, like, I'm not being hyperbolic. If you put a button in front of Ted Cruz and you told him if you press this button, it'll end world hunger like that. Would he press that button? I don't think he would. It's not that he doesn't care about world hunger. I think that he actually thinks that there's some value in the existence of world hunger or some sort of political gain he could extract out of people's suffering uh, for his own benefit. I think that he would probably say, you know what? I'm not going to end world hunger. I'm not going to push the button because I'm not hungry. Therefore, other people suffering currently in the world, they can do what I did. They can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they can feed themselves. So I'm not just going to give them a handout and press this button and end world hunger. No, I think that's honestly what he would do if given that option. Uh, But going to uh, the answers here, of course, Ted Cruz is a coward, but Michael Knowles, his answer, I've got to say, was a little bit sus to me. So he says, you are attempting to justify flagrantly immoral behavior to achieve a good end. Now, it's really bizarre that you would conflate being gay with a flagrantly immoral behavior. You know, the real conundrum would be if you rephrased that hypothetical and you said, okay, To end world hunger, would you stab 100 people and kill them? That would be something that would be a lot more difficult to answer, right? Because on one hand, ending world hunger is objectively good, but causing pain and suffering, like, would you make that utilitarian calculation? Would you choose yourself to end these lives to potentially save millions or billions more lives? So that is something that is a little bit more interesting. But this is an easy, easy answer, Would you go gay to end world hunger? I mean, any reasonable person who's not morally defective would say unequivocally. Of course I would. I mean, just just flip it for a second, right? Imagine if I were asked this question as a homosexual male. Would you go straight to end world hunger? Um, Look, I'm as queer as a $3 bill, but the answer would be an unquestionable, of course, obviously. I mean, that doesn't mean that I would enjoy it. But would I do that to achieve something that is objectively good? yeah obviously and the reason why it's easy for me to answer this question is because i'm secure i'm confident about my sexuality i don't think that going straight to end world hunger would make me any less gay nor would i care about being any less gay even if that was something that could happen because i am what i am i don't care i don't have to prove to anyone what my sexuality is or isn't but michael Knowles had a really interesting response to that. Uh, The ends do not justify the means. Um, what? First of all, it would be more pain for the person to get filleted by Michael Knowles than it would be for him to fillet someone else. Because it's Michael Knowles, you're disgusting. Uh, Second of all, I've got to say that for him to make such a bizarre hyperbolic statement, It's sus, it sounds gay. Now let me me give you an example of this. So for me, when I was a teenager, I was still deeply in denial about my sexual orientation and I wanted people to think that I was heterosexual by any means necessary. So I would make outrageous statements, outrageously homophobic statements, just to prove how straight I was. But I wasn't sure if I was trying to prove it to them or prove it to myself. So, I don't remember what the context was, but somebody asked me, um, oh, something, would you would you sleep with a guy? It, it was something of that nature. And I don't remember what they said, but I remember my response because it's so cringeworthy and embarrassing that I think about it till this day. And my response was, I would rather die than be gay. Now, the reason why I said that was because I was so insecure as a young man about my sexual orientation that any thought of me being gay, I wanted to, you know, shoot that shit down, so even if it meant being hyperbolic and saying, I'd rather die than be gay, that's what I resorted to because I didn't want anyone to even think about the prospect of me being gay. And so when I think back, maybe this is just projection, but when I think back to my answer, it kind of parallels Michael Knowles' answer in the same way, does it not? Because he's literally suggesting that he would not fillet a man to end world hunger. That's the gayest answer I've ever heard. The ends do not justify the means. Really? You don't think sucking a guy off to save billions of lives potentially is worth it? I've got to say, that makes you pretty sus in my opinion. That makes me think, okay, you're probably hiding something. He's a Christian. He's a right-wing conservative. He's an evangelical. He's a fundy, So, you know, he probably thinks that being gay is immoral. In fact, he said it's flagrantly immoral. So, maybe... He's saying that not necessarily to make a statement for all of us to believe, but maybe he's trying to convince himself that he would never do that because he's so straight. He wouldn't even suck off a guy to end world hunger because that's how straight he is. Mm, I I think that if you ask most straight men who are actually confident, like my brother, for example, my brother is very straight. He's a one on the Kinsey scale. Um, If you ask him, would you fuck a dude to end world hunger? My brother would say, of course I would. I care more about saving lives than people thinking I'm gay because being gay is not bad. And he's confident. That's what somebody who's confident in their sexual orientation would say. But somebody who is not confident would say something like that, not necessarily because they believe it, because it's preposterous, but because he's trying to overcompensate, because he's trying to let everyone else know, "Mm, I'm definitely, definitely the furthest thing from gay. Like, not even a little bit gay. Like, I'm a negative 50 on the Kinsey scale. Now, being one, for context, is exclusively heterosexual. So he's he's beyond that. He's the straightest person on the planet. Mm, not, not really buying it, Michael Knowles. You sound gay when you say shit like that. So, you know, I mean, honestly, in this day and age, with how accepting people have become, for you to joke about being gay I would be less suspicious of you than you saying something extremely homophobic, like the homophobia, the extreme homophobia to me tells me you're trying to overcompensate. So it's interesting. Um, overall, I- I've got to say it's not a substantive question to ask, obviously, but I do think it is valuable in the sense that you really get a sense of the morality of these politicians. Ted Cruz refused to answer that question, but he, he had a little gotcha. Would you vote for Trump? Uh, If that would solve world hunger, yes. Now, you know, is the uh, assumption that Trump himself would end world hunger? Because I don't believe that that would be the case, but also sucking dick wouldn't end world hunger. So, like, if for some reason voting for Trump would immediately end world hunger, would you do it? Yeah. Yeah, I think most reasonable people would do that. Because again, you're kind of making a utilitarian calculation. You know, all the harm, all the pain and suffering that Trump would inflict, that would be objectively bad. But simultaneously, all of the suffering that would be ameliorated because of this vote, that would be worthwhile, right? So I feel like this is easy, right? Again, the complex philosophical conundrum would be doing something really evil yourself, to save lives. That's that's. I, I think this is kind of like the inverse of the uh, the trolley uh, question or whatever. I'm I'm probably butchering it. But but simply saying, would you vote a certain way or suck somebody off? That isn't even interesting. Like it's an easy answer. But the fact that they struggle with it so much, the fact that he wouldn't have sex with a man to end world hunger tells you that his moral compass is a little bit fucked, and he should probably readjust it. And also, um, maybe stop being so sensitive about your sexual orientation. If you're confident, Michael Knowles, great. But at this point, it seems like you're trying to convince yourself more than us. And to me, that makes my Gator go off. And Ted Cruz, of course, is going to do the politician thing and just refuse to answer. But he's a coward. The answer isn't easy. Yes. it's It's simple. I mean, most normal people watching this now, would you Um, go against your own sexual orientation. If you're gay, would you sleep with the opposite sex? If you're straight, would you sleep with the same sex to end world hunger? I think that most reasonable people wouldn't even have to think about it. It's just an easy yes. But the fact that they struggle tells you that Republicans are just, they, they, they have... A flawed moral system. And that's assuming they even have a moral system. Because again, I'm not so sure that Ted Cruz even thinks that ending world hunger is objectively good. Same with Michael Knowles. So, yeah, interesting. Not the most substantive, you know, uh, video in the world, but I wanted to talk about this because I found it interesting. And um, now all of a sudden, Michael Knowles, uh, he's uh, making my gay dar go off. And uh, now I think he's gay because of that answer. So, good job, Michael Knowles. In your effort to disprove, your homosexuality. Now you've got a lot of people thinking, "Mm, you're a little bit sus, my dude.
1: I don't understand where the men are. Like, where are the dads? You know, some teachers pushing sex values on your third grader? Why don't you go in there and thrash the teacher? Like, this is an agent of the government pushing someone else's values on your kid about sex. Like, where's the pushback? Well, one of the crazy things we know, Tucker, is that this is hidden from parents. I mean, I agree with you. There should be a ton of pushback. I'm a father of three young kids, and I would get enraged if I found out this was happening at my kid's school. But you hear all these crazy things about you know, five-year-old kids go into school as boys, but then they go into the magical closet and they come out as, a, as their gender-affirming identity. Of course, that has nothing to do with the crazy lunatic who's pushing this, them on them. Of course, we're, we're led to believe, of course, it's all coming from five-year-old children. So, so one of the things we're learning, Tucker, is that This is being forced by some of these really radical teachers, and they're hiding it from the parents. That's maybe the most pernicious part.
0: That stupidity was a conversation that took place on national television between Tucker Carlson and J.D. Vance. And J.D. Vance just said unironically that teachers are forcing students to be gay and trans. Where? Where is this happening? And if it happened, how many times? Once? twice. That's not the way that it works. If you genuinely believe that someone can be taught to be gay or be forced into being gay or trans, you're a simpleton. You're stupid. You lack even an elementary understanding of human sexuality, and kids aren't being taught about sexuality in grades K-3. through But, to these idiots, if you so happen to um, forget yourself and mention your wife and you're a female teacher, well, Congratulations, you just turned that entire class gay and you groomed all of them into that lifestyle. So we have to protect our children against these groomers and, I don't know, pull them out of public schools and put them into private religious institutions. I can't help but think this new homophobic push is part of their scheme to, you know, uh, goad people into putting their kids in private schools. I don't honestly know, but either way, if you listen to that conversation and you think that what they said made sense in any way, I have to think that you're a stupid person yourself or you're just a sloppy thinker. You're not thinking about this. You're intellectually lazy. And in case you missed it, Tucker Carlson, they're very casually called for violence against teachers as if their jobs aren't already shitty enough where they get paid nothing. And now they have all these Karens like Tucker Carlson going to school claiming that, um, you know, they're grooming students. Now he's saying do violence. He says, I don't understand where the men are, like where are the dads, you know, some teachers push sex values on your third grader, why don't you go in and thrash the teacher? What do you mean by sex values? Notice how whenever they have this conversation about sex values, it's incredibly vague. And this really is revealed in their hysteria about Disney being more inclusive, supposedly, of LGBTQ plus people. See, if you put a picture of two princes kissing or two princesses kissing, that's grooming. To them, that's tantamount to gay pornography because they actually think that you choose to be gay. And if you just hide homosexuality and transgender uh, identities away from children, then congratulations. Once they're 18, they would have chosen to be cisgender and heterosexual, and you've succeeded as a parent. Except it doesn't work that way. And I I feel like most reasonable people who have any brain cells acknowledge this. But it's, you know, Fox News, and they're pandering to the dumbest audience in America. So, of course, you know, when they say something like this, the simpletons that tune into Fox News religiously every single evening, they won't question it. Now, the reason why the GOP is currently waging a war on teachers is because, as they've learned with the hysteria over critical race theory, that this is a politically potent method that gets normies to covertly adopt bigoted points of view, and it's a political winner for them, right? It's politically expedient to trot out this homophobic argument, this homophobic myth that gays are predators. But the problem is they're not actually protecting children, and I don't know if they're achieving this goal of getting parents to pull their kids out of public schools and place them in private religious institutions. I don't know what the intended effect that they want is, but we do know that what they're doing is making the lives of teachers hell currently. As Tyler Kincaid of NBC News explains, The school year at MacArthur High in Irving, Texas, began last fall with the administration scraping off rainbow stickers that had been posted on campus, prompting hundreds of students to walk out in protest. Seven months later, LGBTQ students say things have deteriorated further. One faculty sponsor of the school's Gay-Straight Alliance is facing having her contract terminated. Another is preparing to resign, and a third has been removed from the classroom. The Alliance's weekly meetings became monthly, and attendance dropped from about 40 students to fewer than 10. The student newspaper has functionally shut down. Two teachers said that the school's principal asked teachers to take down gay pride flags in their classrooms and offices. Several students said that either they or their classmates have been called homophobic slurs and bullied and school staff members have failed to intervene. Some said they're discouraged by the Irving Independent School District's response to the concerns they've raised through the Gay-Straight Alliance and school board meetings and they feel less safe at school than they did a year ago. Two students said human Resources officers with the district questioned them about their involvement with the GSA. LGBTQ students and teachers in the district said they've already been on edge because of the pressure schools across Texas and beyond are facing from politicians, parents, and activists to remove books with LGBTQ themes. They're also deeply worried about a state order calling for child abuse investigations into the families of transgender children, which was temporarily blocked by a judge. Nationwide, educators have raised concerns that new measures, such as a Florida law that prevents teachers from discussing sexual orientation in third grade or lower, could lead to a purge of LGBTQ teachers and advocates for LGBTQ students are alarmed by some parents' recent demands that schools prohibit students from organizing gay-straight alliances, calling them pornographic and suggesting they would turn children gay. Now, notice how the goalpost shifted. So it started, this national conversation specifically started with Republicans saying, we have to do this don't say gay law because we have to protect children in grades K through three. But now the conversation has broadened out. Now, gay-straight alliances in high school, which are crucial resources for LGBTQ youth. Now that's under attack as well because it's pornographic. And, you know, teachers now are being targeted for putting up rainbow flags. Now, teachers who put up rainbow flags, that's not necessarily them saying, hey, I'm gay, I'm queer, everyone look at me. Oftentimes, they'll do that so they can signal to students that they're allies. So if a student is dealing with a family that's homophobic or if a student wants to come out and they don't know anyone safe to come out to, that teacher is saying, I'm I'm a safe person to come out to. That could be a straight person. But now that teacher is being targeted. Now teachers who are LGBTQ uh, at all, anyone who's seen as an ally affirming of gay-straight alliances in high schools, now they're being targeted. And one student in that article was quoted saying that they feel as if they're under attack, they're being targeted, and they're gender fluid. So what has started as, oh my god, we have to protect children, has essentially turned into an anti-gay witch hunt. And it didn't begin just this year. This has been brewing for quite some time. Back in 2021, we talked about how that was one of the most disgustingly transphobic years when it comes to state lawmakers introducing laws that either ban gender-affirming care for trans youth or ban trans high school students from participating in school sports. And it's only going to continue to get worse. And it's not just contained— to certain states. Like, you know, the don't say gay law originated from Florida, but it's spreading throughout the country. As Reed Wilson of The Hill explains, lawmakers in Ohio and Louisiana have filed legislation that mimics the Florida law signed last month by Governor Ron DeSantis. In Texas, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who controls the state Senate, said he would make his state's version of the bill a top priority in the next legislative session. The Louisiana version would bar educators and school employees from discussing their own sexual orientation or gender identity with any student through 12th grade. There's no need for any child to ever know the private life of their educator," State Rep. Dodie Horton, the bill's chief sponsor, told KSLA-TV. It's not prejudice to one group or another, it just doesn't discuss it at all. Yeah. So, remember how back in 2010, we all saw it as a huge accomplishment that Congress actually got their act together and repealed the violently homophobic Don't Ask, Don't Tell law, which basically forced members of the armed services into the closet indefinitely? couldn't come out if you were a member of the military. Why? Well, because reasons. You know, that's going to disrupt the military. How's that going to be in locker rooms? Will these, you know, gay predators prey on their colleagues in the military? All those reasons. But we repealed it and moved on, and we realized to force people into the closet is bigoted. It's bad. It's harmful. But here we are in 2022 bringing back Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It's just now it's applicable to teachers they have to be silent about their identities so as to not groom the youths. Because in 11th grade, if you learn that your teacher is gay, you're automatically going to be gay yourself because I guess the teacher's going to make it sound cool or something. I mean, it's a childish understanding of human sexuality and it defies reason. But the point is to be cruel. The point is to gin up homophobia for purposes of political expediency. This is what gets them the victory. You know, just saying I don't like gay people isn't really going to be palatable politically in 2022. So the way that they create homophobia once again Is by cloaking their homophobia in we have to protect the children it's how they basically got people against teaching history with critical race theory and you could take anything uh, and turn it into we have to protect the children and it's going to be a political winner because people by and large care about protecting children i mean who doesn't but notice how they're weaponizing protecting children to bring back homophobia in a really explicit way. I mean, homophobia never really dissipated, but attitudes towards LGBTQ plus people have improved over the years, not necessarily with regard to trans people. We have so much work to do in that regard, but homophobic attitudes will return. And this isn't just like this new push for explicitly homophobic laws by the GOP making this their priority. It's not just going to be contained to the United States we will see a global increase in homophobia because of what the GOP is doing, because what the United States does It has, you know, consequences. It ripples throughout the world. Take a look at what happened to Evan when he was in Dublin. Last night, a stranger called me a faggot before beating the shit out of me. He left me with a fractured eye socket, two fractures in my ankle, a dislocation in my ankle, and some other minor injuries. We've come a long way, but still have such a long way to go in terms of equality. Now, I'm not saying that that assault specifically was due to the GOP in America, being relentless in their push for homophobic laws. But what I am saying is that we will see a correlation between this increased homophobic rhetoric and anti LGBTQ hate crimes, violence against trans women. Like these things go hand in hand because politicians have a lot of influence and power. And when they, you know, cultivate this homophobic sentiment, the population usually follows their lead. Now, in 2022 alone, there's been more than 240 anti-LGBTQ plus laws introduced in state legislatures across the country, specifically in 31 states, as this graphic by the Human Rights Campaign illustrates. And at this rate, 2022 is shaping up to be one of the most anti-LGBTQ years, legislatively speaking, at least in modern history, because, I mean, you know, this is kind of the way that progress works a lot of people have this view of progress that it's linear but that's not necessarily the case you don't always charge ahead in one direction sometimes you make progress sometimes you go backwards you know take two steps forward five steps back we're currently in one of those eras where we're making a lot of moves backwards where we're regressing at a rate that's shocking and it's not just regression with regard to lgbtq plus issues i mean when it comes to women's rights We have states just passing straight up bans on abortion at this point in the year 2022. But this is what the GOP is doing. Their goal is to inflict as much pain and suffering on America because they are psychopaths. People who vote for this party, they're bad people. They are morally defective. If you support this party, then I don't know what's wrong with you. I have to think that you just are cruel and you enjoy it because the Republican Party time and again has shown you who they are. They're no longer the party of, you know, uh, tax cuts for small businesses, not that they ever were, but this party, their whole goal is to troll, is to be unnecessarily cruel and to inflict pain on people. That's the goal of the GOP. This is a party of fucking monsters. And if you still vote for this party, knowing who they are, that says a lot about who you are as a person as well. So this is going to continue, and I would argue this is probably only the beginning. Their homophobia and bombastic rhetoric that we're seeing on Fox News and other right-wing outlets is only going to get worse. You think that this is the lowest that they'll stoop to? Trust me, they will go even lower because that's who they are. They are fucking monsters, and the only thing that we can do is push back against them vociferously because what little gains we've made... it comes to lgbtq plus rights you always have to fight to protect because if you just simply you accomplish something you achieve progress and you step away well bad actors are going to target that progress and try to take you back and i think a lot of people in this country got comfortable thinking well you know the issue of lgbtq plus equality at least when it comes to gays is solved but no that never was the case and these attacks on trans people that never ceased was a sign that they were also going to try to uh, make this a broader attack on all of the lgbtq plus community it was just a matter of time so you can never get comfortable when it comes to civil rights you always have to be committed to fighting because there will always be reactionary forces that try to take you back and this is something that will never change i just hope that people learn from this and they acknowledge that you know you always have to fight to protect these gains and i'll leave that there So previously on the show, I've outlined the issues that I have with the Congressional Progressive Caucus. I think it's largely A caucus in Congress that isn't very progressive. I mean, certainly all of the most progressive members of Congress are part of the CPC. The problem is that this is usually an organization that launders the reputation of corporate Democrats and a lot of corporate Democrats who aren't actually progressive will join the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So that way they get shielded from some sort of insurgent leftist primary challenger and um, it's an issue, and what they need to do is clean house. They need to actually have more standards in the CBC to make sure that they don't bring in people who are trying to sabotage the leftist progressive agenda. Now, what they did uh, today, really, I feel like it should be the last straw for people if they didn't already know how bad the CBC is. So they announced their slate of primary endorsements for 2022, and one of the individuals is Chantel Brown. Now, for those of you who don't know, Chantel Brown is being primaried by a leftist candidate named Nina Turner. Might have heard about her. She's a star in the progressive movement. And they endorsed Chantel Brown over Nina Turner. And the press release reads, We're proud to support and endorse this group of bold, progressive leaders that are fighting for working people in their communities and across the country, said CPC PAC co-chairs Mark Pocan, Pramila Jayapal, and Jamie Raskin. Each and every one of them is working every day to take on corporate special interests, what a joke, fight for economic and social justice, universal health care, climate action, and bold solutions to the urgent crises facing our country. We are thrilled to support their campaigns and look forward to continuing to build the progressive movement alongside them in Congress. Now, the idea of Chantel Brown taking on corporate special interests is so absurd that it's laughable because her campaign was bankrolled by special interests. And we'll get into all of that. But to give you some additional context, as Daniel Morans of HuffPost explains, Chantel Brown joined the CPC back in January. So to a lot of people, I think it just seems logical for them to endorse one of their own members. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to protect their incumbents, who are part of the CPC. They want, you know, a huge list of numbers. And so they're going to endorse people who are part of the caucus. The problem is that they're prioritizing numbers and just their own membership over the actual policies itself. I mean, the whole point in theory of the Congressional Progressive Caucus is to promote progressive policies. But when you are endorsing corporate Democrats over people like Nina Turner, who actually supports progressive policies, then that's that's an issue. And as David Dole points out, the biggest issue here is that Chantel Brown was allowed to join the Progressive Caucus at all as the caucus is always going to endorse sitting members. Brown joined a month after joining the business-friendly New Democrat Coalition and a day before Nina Turner announced her run. So Chantel Brown, she gets elected to Congress after getting a surge of corporate money and she has her feet in both cookie jars. She's part of these the corporate-friendly New Dem coalition, and she's also part of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Now, she's part of the Congressional Progressive Caucus not because she is progressive, but because she knew that after running a contested primary against Nina Turner, there would be a likelihood, a high likelihood, that Nina Turner would run against her again. So how do you shield yourself from the left? Well, you join the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and you pretend to be a progressive. You make sure that they don't endorse your future primary opponent. And that's exactly what Chantel Brown did. And the CPC leadership fell for it. As David Dole pointed out, she should have never been admitted to the CPC, not only because she's part of the New Dem coalition, which is corporate, but also because of all of the things that she did To get elected in the first place. I mean, let's just take a quick recap of the issues here. So, Chantel's Brown first campaign was funded by a fossil fuel oligarch and right-wingers, including Trump allies, and she not only had a super PAC and still has a super PAC, but she walked a legal fine line by publicly begging a super PAC, specifically a pro-Israeli apartheid super PAC, for campaign contributions when Nina Turner was outraising her with small dollar grassroots donations. Now, that's not even to mention the conflicts of interest and potential quid pro quos with her campaign donors and how one consulting firm in particular ran by her partner helped her out after she helped them out. And all of this led to an ethics probe. And as Newsweek explained in an article from last year, in April, The Intercept reported that Brown, a Cuyahoga County council member, had voted to award millions worth of contracts to companies connected to her romantic partner and campaign donors. Emails reviewed by The Daily Poster showed that the Ohio State Auditor's Office reviewed the allegations in the article and recently referred the matter to the State Ethics Commission. Under Ohio law, public officials are prohibited from knowingly authorizing or using their authority or influence to secure authorization of any public contract in which the public official, a member of the public's official family, or any of the public official's business associates has an interest. Violation of the statute is a felony and penalties can include prison time so all of that happened chantelle brown ended up beating nina turner and then the congressional progressive caucus welcomed her with open arms and look i understand that we want to change people's minds we want to bring them over to our side and get them to support the policies that we support but anyone with functioning brain cells left in their head can see that chantelle brown didn't have a sudden change of heart Her joining the CPC is an obvious cynical ploy to kind of placate the left and stop the CPC from endorsing her future uh, primary opponent, Nina Turner. And unfortunately, it worked. And uh, Pramila Jayapal, the leader where the buck stops with her, she took the bait hook, line and sinker. Back in uh, February, she tweeted out Medicare for All is now officially co-sponsored by 118 members of the House. So glad to have Representative Chantel Brown on board as we build this movement to finally guarantee healthcare as a human right. Wait, she ran against Medicare for All and um, you're celebrating her co-sponsoring Medicare for All, even though it's clear that she's doing this cynically so. So she has plausible deniability when she has a leftist challenger. I mean, even if Nina Turner wasn't challenging her, she's a centrist who would inevitably face a leftist primary challenger. And you're like celebrating her. You're doing PR for her, Pramila Jayapal. Now I get like Pramila Jayapal, Medicare for All is her signature piece of legislation. So of course, she's going to celebrate co-sponsors. But again, like you have to draw the line, you have to have some standards as to who you admit into the Congressional Progressive Caucus. I mean and, and let me just say, co-sponsoring Medicare for All is not evidence that they support Medicare for All. Tim Ryan co-sponsored Medicare for All and then when he ran for president, he was asked by a reporter if he'd support it because he was running against it, but yet he co-sponsored it and he said he said no, I would vote against it. But he co sponsored it. So doesn't that seem a little bit bizarre? Well, no, because these politicians will pretend to support policies to get the left off their backs and to placate the left when in actuality, if it came up to a vote, they wouldn't supported and Pramila Jayapal is just letting Chantel Brown pretend to be a progressive so she insulates herself from a leftist primary challenger or criticism from the left and I mean at this point with their standards let's let's pretend that Joe Manchin mm-hmm. decided that he doesn't want to be a senator he's stepping down and he's running for the House of Representatives it's Joe Manchin so we all know him or Kirsten Cinema, any of these corporate Democrats right uh let's assume they got elected ran as a centrist functionally campaigned as a Republican mm-hmm. But when they got elected, they chose to join the Congressional Progressive Caucus because they co-sponsored Medicare for All. Would you let Joe Manchin join, even though you know he definitely doesn't support Medicare for All and he's just co-sponsoring this piece of legislation to placate the left and insulate himself from a leftist primary challenger? I mean, where do you draw the line? Are you just going to let anyone in? Can a Republican join the Congressional Progressive Caucus if they happen to support Medicare for All when they're clearly not a progressive? I mean, you have to have some fucking standards and the leadership of the CPC has failed here. Now, the CPC is big and you would think, oh, wow, that's good because there's so many progressives here in Congress. But these aren't progressives. These are people who are part of centrist caucuses and people who are trying to protect themselves from primary opponents that, you know, challenge them from the left. So draw the fucking line somewhere. So why is Pramila Jayapal allowing this to happen? Why is she letting her uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus to become the laughingstock of the nation. Well, David Sroda has a theory. He wrote, Let's be clear, this is very likely Pramila Jayapal selling out the entire movement because of her unbridled ambitions to get a fancy but meaningless leadership title among a House Democratic Caucus that will be obliterated in the midterm elections. A total betrayal on every level. Now, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I can't speculate about her motivations. But what I can speak to is the things that she's done, to show that she is uh, not very savvy politically and when it comes to strategy. So all of last year, she started off really strong when it comes to Build Back Better. And she was keeping the Congressional Progressive Caucus together, saying we're not going to vote for the bipartisan infrastructure proposal unless the Senate agrees to pass Build Back Better, get us climate change legislation, universal, you know, pre-K, all of that. And then what happened? Well, after enough pressure, she buckled, she buckled. And just six members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the squad plus a couple of others, um, they held strong. They did what they promised they would do. But after Pramila Jayapal caved to pressure from Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and made a fool of herself, well, she embarrassed herself even more by pretending as if, no, we were we were kept keeping our word. We we held strong and we didn't buckle. And also, um, you know, we we're we're the winners throughout this. We actually won and we owned Mansion. like I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but you can go back and look at the videos where we talked about her talking about this. And it's not just her, you know, it's also Ro Connor who said the same thing, but she's the leader of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So, you know, what she does, this caucus will follow suit in theory, right? And she tried to reframe this as a win when it was a clear loss. And time has proven us right. It's proven that her strategy was a failure because does anyone remember Bill Back Better getting passed by the Senate? No, it didn't because she failed to keep her caucus together. So Pramila Jayapal is a great Lawmaker. She writes excellent legislation. Her Medicare for All bill is better than the one that Bernie Sanders proposed, not by like a ton, but it has a lot of provisions that are a lot better in the long run. And I would want Bernie Sanders' version to match Pramila Jayapal's version, right? So she's a good lawmaker. The problem is that she's not a leader. She's not a leader. You have to have backbone to be a leader. You can't cave at the second there was going to be pressure from Joe Manchin. You can't allow anyone into the Congressional Progressive Caucus when they're clearly not progressives. And in fact, they're pretty corrupt facing ethics probes. You can't allow this to happen. Otherwise, the ideology of the caucus gets watered down and its effectiveness gets erased in Congress and you get nothing accomplished. So under your leadership, Pramila Jayapal, when you had the opportunity with Democrats in power, what have you achieved? Nothing. you achieved nothing. So... If I were Pramila, Pramila Jayapal, I would no longer be in leadership after failure after failure. I would resign if I were Pramila Jayapal in shame. Now, that's not to say that like we should go after Pramila Jayapal as leftists, because again, she's a good lawmaker. The problem is that she's not a leader, right? And that's that's fine, right? Not all people have leadership qual- qualities, right? But you have people in Congress who are leaders. Cori Bush is always holding strong. She held strong with Build Back Better. Jamal Bowman, he doesn't get everything right, but he doesn't let, you know, the uh, corporate wing of the party run roughshod over him. There are other people, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, who are better suited for the leadership position. And I have no idea if, you know, the institutional mechanisms in Congress would just keep the status quo the same in the CPC and there'd be no reform. But if you actually want the Congressional Progressive Caucus to be more than a joke, you can't allow any person to just join flippantly because they want to be shielded from the left. Like This is obvious. So now what Pramila Jayapal and the CPC at large has done is piss off the entire left. The entire left is rooting for Nina Turner because she's somebody who actually does have leadership potential. She's someone who would fight vociferously for Medicare for All and not just co-sponsor it, because that's what's politically convenient. So this is absolutely a betrayal. The CPC has betrayed the entire left, and I really hope that members of the CPC come out, defy this endorsement, and endorse Nina Turner over Chantel Brown. And I hope that the CPC actually gets pressed by members of the media as to what the fuck they're doing, because I don't even know, but this is embarrassing. Like, you're useful idiots for the Democratic Party's corporate wing, and you should be ashamed of yourself, but, you know, if you play dumb And you lose fights on purpose. Oftentimes, that's how you get, um, you know, uh, you know, a better job in the Democratic Party, as David Sirota alluded to. But again, I'm not going to speculate. I do know this is fucked up. And Pramila Jayapal absolutely needs to explain why she's proud to endorse somebody who's a corporate stooge, who supports Israeli apartheid and takes money from their super PACs, and is very clearly cynically supporting Medicare for all, all so she can shield herself from criticism from... Her primary opponent. So we have to talk about the Starbucks workers and what they're doing across the country. Uh, I don't even know how to describe what they're doing, but I do know for sure that all of their activity demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt that labor is back. And at this point, I feel as if we're on a trajectory to make labor and the labor movement, more broadly speaking, in this country stronger than ever. So it wasn't long ago when Chris Smalls led the first Amazon warehouse to a union. Uh, But Starbucks workers back in November in Buffalo, New York, at a store, they voted to form the very first union in the company's history. And that was only the beginning because now there is a company-wide effort to unionize. Now, earlier this month, the flagship Starbucks location in New York voted to unionize. Just this week, two stores in the Boston area voted unanimously to form unions. And we're to the point where 18 stores have voted to unionize since that first store unionized in Buffalo, New York in late 2021. And um, more than 200 plus stores are now fighting to unionize in uh, uh, 30 different states. 200 plus Starbucks locations are fighting to unionize. Now, all of this is happening despite one of the most intense union-busting campaigns in decades. This is according to In These Times. But since that article was published back in late March, the number of stores trying to unionize doubled. So just stop for a moment and appreciate that. Starbucks is doing everything in their power, even firing union organizers at particular locations, closing down stores. And the union effort is, is growing. It literally doubled in the span of uh, a couple of weeks. It's absolutely insane, and the company at this point is so desperate that they're trying everything, including increasing benefits specifically for non-union workers. So as CNBC explains, Starbucks' campaign to dissuade baristas from unionizing could include extending new benefits exclusively to non-union workers. The company's CEO, Howard Schultz, told U.S. store leaders this week that he is reviewing the coffee chain's benefit program for its workers. However, employees who work at company-owned stores that vote to unionize would be ineligible for those improved benefits, Schultz said. Schultz cited federal labor law and advice from the company's legal counsel in saying it would be illegal to extend benefits unilaterally with unionized locations in the equation. Under federal labor law, employers have to bargain with the union that represents their workers when it comes to changes in compensation, benefits, or other terms of their employment. But companies can still ask unionized employees if they want additional benefits. So, I mean, this is obviously a deliberate and cynical ploy to get uh, any employee that was considering a union to not opt for a union, because if the goal of the union is to get better pay and better benefits, well, then if the company's offering you this anyway, then what's the point of the union? Kind of makes the union unnecessary, right? Except no. This is a union busting ploy. See, the reason why a union would still be necessary, even if Starbucks did offer better benefits, is because what these companies do is they'll say, OK, we're going to offer you healthcare, but this is only for full time employees. So you've got to work at least 35 hours a week or 37 hours a week. And if you uh, work that much, then we will uh, make sure you have healthcare." The problem is that then they'll deliberately schedule employees for like 34 uh, five hours. uh, And this is what they all do. So when I worked at Walmart, uh, they would actually write you up if you went over your scheduled time, because then, oh, under law, you have to be offered benefits if you cross into a certain hourly um, threshold. Per week. So this is this is obviously what they're going to do. They're going to say, hey, here's some new benefits that we're going to dangle in front of you, but we won't actually give them to you because you won't be employed full time. We won't schedule you enough to qualify for these benefits. I mean, they're full of shit. And this is why the employees are unionizing because they see right through it. It's an embarrassing attempt to placate workers that I don't think is going to work. But Howard Schultz is trying to do anything because He's desperate, so more from CNBC on this. As the union push gains momentum, Workers United has alleged that the company has engaged in union-busting activity, including firing organizers, cutting barista hours at unionizing locations, and other forms of retaliation. In March, the National Labor Relations Board filed a complaint against Starbucks, alleging that it violated federal labor law by firing organizers at a Phoenix location. In his week and a half back at the helm of the company, Schultz has already been waging a more aggressive campaign against the union than previous CEO Kevin Johnson. Schultz has mentioned the union in public letters and speeches with workers, painting the push to organize as divisive and unnecessary, quote, and while not all the partners supporting unionization are colluding with outside union forces, the critical point is that I do not believe conflict, division and dissension, which which has been a focus of union organizing benefits Starbucks or our partners. He wrote in a letter to Employees Sunday. I'm sorry, but he is so full of shit. Uh, Now, I want to play a video. Uh, This is an interview from uh, Democracy Now! with one of the first organizers of the uh, very first store that unionized in Buffalo. Uh, Their name is Jazz Brzezak, and they basically call Howard Schultz's bluff here, call out his hypocrisy and his hyperbole also, which uh, I won't spoil that for you. But um, they say, you know, Starbucks has this reputation of being this really progressive company. They're in favor of, uh, you know, LGBTQ plus rights, Black Lives Matter. But yet, when it comes to labor rights, the company literally views labor as an assault. They view unionization as an assault. It's preposterous. So take a look at what this worker says about Howard Schultz. And then when we come back, I'll give you the additional context because it truly is just absurd. And Howard Schultz is making a fool of himself. But let's listen.
4: It's been incredible to see this turn into this kind of national movement. Um, I mean, we've had support from the beginning from partners across the country. And the first door to file after Buffalo was actually a MESA. Uh, Arizona store whose manager was retaliated against for telling us exactly what all of these people coming into Buffalo um, were actually up to. And when Starbucks retaliated against her and fired her um, before she had the chance to um, finish her time at Starbucks after resigning, um, they were the first store to um, petition outside of Buffalo. But from there, it's been incredible. I feel like it's almost... I'm not even able to keep up with how many more stores <laughs> have been um, launching. So it's incredible to see so many um, folks. And the first store in the South won a few weeks ago in Knoxville, which was really incredible. The Memphis folks are still not only did Starbucks fire um, six out of the seven person organizing committee, um, but they also um, have still delayed that vote from actually being scheduled um, with the labor board. But It's incredible to see more people um, joining and this movement growing. And I think we all know that that's how we're actually going to get the kind of contract that we can sign and that partners deserve is by continuing to get stronger and show that despite everything, we keep overcoming that union busting and um, standing together in solidarity. And I mean, I think it's ridiculous (laughs) that Howard Schultz is first this threatened by unions because we've said from day one, you know, we're not doing this because we're opposed to Starbucks. We're doing this because we want to make Starbucks the best that it can be and the most sustainable that it can be. It says it's a progressive company that celebrates, you know, all of these other forms of activism, LGBT rights, environmental justice, um, Black Lives Matter. Um, and then suddenly it's being assaulted by labor rights. So that doesn't make sense. That's not consistent with what the Starbucks says it is. Um But I think, you know, we've seen Howard come to Buffalo and make really inappropriate comparisons to um, the Holocaust. And now we're seeing him say that he's being assaulted. So I think, you know, he tries to acknowledge that it's a sensitive subject, but he's still really missing the mark on how to talk about it.
0: Yeah. So uh, I love the enthusiasm there. Uh, I love how optimistic Starbucks workers are because what they're doing is paying off. Right. They're making their voices heard. They're staking their claim. And it's working. It's working. You have two stores just this week vote unanimously to unionize. You know Howard Schultz is shitting bricks. But uh, they were correct. So when uh, they said that he used the Holocaust analogy he actually did this i looked it up so i'm paraphrasing here but he was talking about why unions are bad and he said you know in germany in concentration camps not all of the prisoners would get blankets and so some of the prisoners would share blankets so uh starbucks wants to be the type of company that shares blankets okay so what are you trying to say are you trying to say that the union organizers howard are like the nazis or are you saying that starbucks and the working conditions are comparable to concentration camps because you can interpret that in a multitude of ways and uh either way it doesn't look good for you and he also called it an assault we talked about this last week i can't get over that he actually said this is like an assault on corporations absurd so one thing that i love about this isn't just how successful these unionized efforts are but it's to see how these ceos lose their fucking minds as the unionization effort spreads across the company and is successful and if these starbucks workers have taught us anything it's that when one domino falls the rest will follow and i hope that that's true with the amazon union all it took was one starbucks store to unionize and now just a couple of months later more than 200 stores across the country are fighting to unionize. Now, we had one Amazon store unionize, Will others follow? I'm not sure. But what I do know is that this labor movement is really, really encouraging to see. And uh, anytime time uh, you see a company lose their shit and fight this hard, use all of these tactics and be that hyperbolic to fight unions, that goes to show you unions are very powerful, and there's a reason why these companies don't want their workers to form unions. Grooming. Groomer. Grooming. groom Groomers.
4: Groomer
3: in chief.
1: Grooming. Groomer. Groomer. Grooming. Groomers. Grooming. Groomers. Groomer. Grooming. Grooming. Groomer. Grooming. Grooming. Groomers. Grooming. 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 Groomer. Groomer. Grooming. Groom. Groomers. Grooming. Groomers. Groomer.
2: Grooming. Groomed.
1: Groomers. Groomed. Grooming. Grooming. Groomer. Grooming. Groomer. Grooming. Grooming.
2: Grooming. Grooming. Grooming.
1: Grooming. Groomers. Grooming. Grooming. Groomer. Groomers.
2: Groom. Grooming. Grooming.
1: Groom. groom. Groomers, grooming, grooming, groom, grooming, groomer, groomed, groomed, grooming, grooming, groomers, grooming, Groomers. groomers, groomers, groom, groomer, is groom, grooming, groom,
0: grooming, grooming, groom.
2: Pro pedophile media fully backs this pro
4: grooming position.
0: That compilation put together by Media Matters demonstrates very clearly that the Republican Party and their propagandists have a new favorite word it's grooming. Now, the reason why they're all saying the same thing at the same time is because this is how they're selling their new anti-gay legislation to people. They think that the way to sell people on this new version of don't ask, don't tell, albeit for teachers, is to convince people that if we don't hide the existence of LGBTQ plus people from children, then they might see that gay people exist or trans people exist and want to be gay or trans themselves because it definitely works that way. Um, so you have to hide this away from kids so as to not groom them into said lifestyle. Now you might think that that sounds preposterous and you might know that that's not the way that human sexuality and gender identity works, the problem is that this is working. As absurd as them repeating rumor over and over again may sound to reasonable people, it's actually working. They've proven time and again that all you have to do to sell the public on some regressive policy is to repeat it again and again and again and again, and eventually what was once questionable and seemingly absurd becomes a fact to people. So the question is, what is the Democratic Party doing to counter this? What message are they using to push back against the revival of the gays or pedophile myth, essentially? And uh, what they're doing effectively is uh, nothing. And I wish that I were kidding about that. But Democrats are just choosing to ignore this. That's the strategy that they think is going to be sufficient to combat this new wave of homophobia that we're seeing from the GOP. As Vice News reports, I see polling that shows that that outrageous characterization is landing with some folks, California Democratic Representative Eric Swalwell told Vice News. But you also don't really want to give oxygen to the land of misfit toys, which is where this is coming from. New York Democratic Representative Hakeem Jeffries, a member of the House Democratic leadership, said the best thing Democrats can do is ignore the attack and focus on the pocketbook issues that polls show Americans care about the most and the big reason Democrats are in a bleak position heading into this fall's midterm elections. I don't even really pay attention to anything she says uh, because she has nothing rational to say. It seems to me to be a ridiculous allegation Jeffries told Vice News when asked about Marjorie Greene's remarks. Uh, we're focused right now on getting things done for everyday Americans, lowering costs, addressing gas prices, and inflation. They can continue to peddle lies and conspiracy theories, he said. Ohio Democratic Rep. Tim Ryan, the front runner to be his party's Senate nominee in the GOP-leaning state, said Democrats must call it out when Republicans call them anti-cop socialists. But pedophiles? Quote, I just think it's so bizarre. I think most people are going to think, like, what are you talking about? It's not what 80% of Ohioans are even thinking about, Ryan said. They're thinking about their job, their wages, and they're going to vote for the candidate who's going to fight for them. So that's the response from the Democratic Party, the one party who claims that if you elect them, they'll fight for LGBTQ plus people. Their strategy? Just ignore it because you don't want to give it any oxygen except um, the GOP and their propagandists are all screeching at the top of their lungs right now about how gay people and trans people are groomers and pedophiles. So you can't ignore this. To ignore this is to give them a victory. You have to push back and fight for LGBTQ plus people because this is working, unfortunately. Like them saying, oh, well, we don't want to give any air to what they're saying is demonstrably a failure of a strategy. And Hakeem Jeffries in House leadership saying, oh, well, you know, we're focusing on, you know, the uh, pocketbook issues. No, you're not. What, What have you passed? What are you doing? What have you done to help Americans? You didn't pass Build Back Better. So you're not focusing on economic issues. And even if you were, that doesn't mean that you can't also address this issue. Because guess what? Even if you were to address pocketbook issues, kitchen table issues, The GOP is still going to do this. In fact, I'd argue that the better you are economically, the more that you deliver to the American people, the louder that the GOP would screech about these types of issues to distract voters from the real issues. But what they're doing, like, this groomer talk is literally working. It is landing with voters. It is convincing people. So as this Wall Street Journal opinion piece points out, the law is actually popular and not just among Republicans. The Public Opinion Strategies poll referenced by that article shows that 61% of voters support Florida's homophobic don't say gay law. They support it in 2022. And this includes 55% of Democratic voters, 53% of Biden voters, and 61% of people who know someone from the LGBTQ community. So let me put this in the context for you. The GOP has revived the gays are pedophiles myth. And guess what? They're convincing Democratic Party voters. They're even convincing people who know LGBTQ plus people. And Democrats strategy is to just do nothing. Not even respond to it minimally. What a catastrophic failure of leadership from the Democratic Party. Now, a morning consult poll isn't as charitable to this law as that previous poll, but it still found lots of support for the core tenets of Florida's don't say gay law. And because the law is so popular, because Ron DeSantis basically single handedly repopularized explicit homophobia, now more than a dozen states have introduced their own versions of don't say gay. But the Democratic Party is saying, no, all you have to do is just ignore the Republicans as they call gay and trans people groomers and pedophiles. That's not working. Is this a joke? What are you doing? What are you doing? To not respond is to literally hand them a victory. You know, there's a reason why Republicans, they'll take the dumbest talking point, and it's so dumb you think, in theory, Americans are smart enough to not fall for that, right? But it works every fucking time. Think back to the ACA debate when Republicans were talking about death panels. Republicans said that to almost no pushback from the Democratic Party, and Americans believed it. And last year with Critical Race Theory, Like, you got how many Americans to believe that teachers are basically telling students who are white that they're oppressors and they're victimizing students? That's not what's happening. Like, critical race theory is a post-grad legal philosophy that's not being taught widely in elementary schools. Uh, But yet, Republicans, they all said the same thing and they repeated it again and again and again and it worked. And Democrats responded by, uh, I don't know, farting in the wind. You can't just not respond to these things. Now, not responding, not pushing back against this hateful rhetoric is one thing, but the Democratic Party, they still are in control of the White House, the Senate, and the House. So it's not just that the GOP, rhetorically speaking, is trying to repopularize homophobia and transphobia uh, and being successful at it. They're also introducing legislation that is, harmful to LGBTQ plus people. There's literally been hundreds of pieces of anti LGBTQ plus legislation introduced in 31 states across the country, disproportionately targeting trans people, by the way, and Democrats who have control of the White House and both branches of Congress haven't introduced their own federal legislation to counter all of these anti-LGBTQ laws that we're seeing at the state level. So, Republican-controlled states are now passing bans on gender-affirming care for trans youth, which is medically necessary, which saves lives. And do we see any momentum to address this federally? Do we see any, any momentum from Democrats in Congress to stop these bans against trans high school athletes? Do we see any momentum to counter the new version of Don't Ask, Don't Tell? But for teachers to counter this, don't say Gable? I mean, the Democratic Party hasn't even passed the Equality Act, which just says you can't discriminate against people on the basis of their sexual orientation or gender identity. And now they're not even gonna fight rhetorically, which is an easy battle. Is it laziness? Is it apathy? What exactly is it? I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know. The Democratic Party, unquestionably, has failed the LGBTQ plus community. That's not to say that all Democrats are bad. There are some members of the House uh, and the Senate who are actually good allies, but at large, the party, nationally speaking, They lack discipline. They lack the courage to even push back a little bit against all of these anti-LGBTQ plus laws. They're not even pushing back against the don't say gay and grooming bullshit. They're just saying, oh, well, it's Marjorie Greene saying it, so nobody's going to take her seriously. Except they are. Americans are going to take them seriously. Americans are fucking stupid, so you have to lay it out for them in very clear terms and say, no, grooming is not actually happening. This isn't a real issue. And simply, telling kids that maybe one of their classmates has two mommies isn't going to indoctrinate them into a gay or lesbian or trans lifestyle. That's not the way that that works. And even if it did work that way, the only reason why you'd be against that is because you think that being gay or trans is inherently bad. When it's not, that's a bigoted position. But Democrats can't even do the bare fucking minimum. It's just, it's truly uh, demoralizing to see this. Um, And, and, you know, if you're dissatisfied with the Democrats and feel as if they're not good enough allies, well, congratulations, you you have no one else to support. There's no viable third party to support for, uh, to vote for. So the Democratic Party is literally the only option. For lgbtq plus people and they've basically just said you know what we're not going to do jack fucking shit you're on your own this whole propaganda machine that the gop has we're not even going to try to push back we're just going to ignore it because you know you don't want to give any air to these types of uh, rumors and smears yeah that ship has sailed and uh you all essentially are complicit because they knew this was going to happen they saw the popularity of don't say gay and like every other issue You know, Republicans have monopolized political discourse and they've taken control of the narrative. This is the fault of the Democratic Party. There's never an issue or, you know, uh, some topic where Republicans are so hysterical that, you know, Americans are going to think, oh, well, that's just that's a little bit unreasonable. No, they're always going to fall for it because repetition is key. That's what the Republican Party has learned. So no matter how absurd a statement you make, if everyone says it all at the same time and they repeat it again and again and again, Americans will fall for it. The fact that Democrats have not learned this by now is just criminal.
1: Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. you get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show you can like subscribe turn on notifications and share our content on social media thank you for watching